Greetings, HPLD listeners. A quick ad before we get started. We have a One Book Colorado program running October 13th to October 25th. Get a free book for every four-year-old. Bring your four-year-old in to any of our libraries to receive their free book. One book per family and only while supplies last. Today we bring you another Weldcast recorded a few years ago about the Go West Film Fest. Enjoy. Welcome to Weldcast, a digital project from the High Plains Library District. This project records, documents, and preserves the rich artistic history of Weld County and its residents through storytelling. The stories are stored digitally and are available to all users online at weldcast.com. My first cinematic experience was Star Wars. To say that I was enchanted, uh, entranced, enraptured, as a five-year-old ESL kid fresh off the adoption boat from South Korea would be an understatement. Star Wars blew my mind. It was one of those catalytic experiences that rewires one's brain. That film helped to lay the groundwork at a very young age for the way I learned to perceive and cognize the strange and beautiful world that we live in. As with great literature, great cinema has that power, and I've loved the movies ever since. In this episode of Weldcast, I have the pleasure of talking about the movies, specifically the Western with Chris Gamer and Victoria Boone, co-founders of the Go West Film Festival, the first Western genre film festival in Colorado. I'm Victoria Boone. I live in Greeley, Colorado. I work for the High Plains Library District as their collection development librarian and been with the district going on 12 years. And I'm Chris Gamer. I'm also a librarian with the High Plains Library District. I have um, been with High Plains for a little over nine years now. Great. Um, So you guys are here because you both started a film festival in Greeley, Colorado, and you guys have called it Go West, the Go West Film Festival. Do you want to give us a little background on that, how it started, why you thought it would be a good idea to do it in Greeley? Sure. Um, I'll start because I actually am one of those weirdos that makes a bucket list. So on my bucket list for the last 20 years has been to start a film festival. Um, Because I've volunteered at film festivals, I've attended film festivals, and I'm like, I want to do this myself someday. Um, But then Chris entered the picture, and we ended up being co-workers at the Centennial Park Library. Turns out she also has a love for film. And I think just the conversations that you and I had, Chris, mm-hmm. um, as well as a film discussion group that I led with you, Jamie, um, helped me to see that Greeley does love film and it could be re- it could really work here. So I um, edited my bucket list and made it start a film festival in Greeley. And Chris and I just sort of started brainstorming from there. Yeah, right? yeah we both uh, have a love, a passion for film. Um, and just kept talking about it. At that time, it was more of a kind of a wishful thinking dream. Um, yeah, pie then, in the sky. Yeah, pie in the sky. Like, hmm, could we make this work? And wouldn't it be really cool to do that? And I know for myself, um, years ago when I was in library school, uh, I listened to a lecture by Patty Wong. She's a mover and shaker in the library world. And I was really, I, I took to heart something she said about uh, libraries and librarians um, being catalysts for a change or um, uh, 
you know, events or programs within the community rather than being, you know, kind of a tag-along partner in uh, community uh, endeavors. Uh, she said, yeah, librarians and libraries should be catalysts for something um, that's really revolutionary in your community. And being a new library student at the time, I really took that to heart. And I think that's kind of what influenced me um, in thinking, hey, something like this could really, really work. And it would be so cool to have librarians and a library district be kind of a catalyst for, for, for a community film festival like this. Yeah, and being librarians, we did what every good librarian would do, and we researched film festivals. When we started really, like, okay, let's make this happen, we started researching how many film festivals are happening in Colorado, and there are a lot, but none of them are Western-focused. So Chris actually had the genius idea to make it a niche and to really focus and narrow it down, considering where we're located. We're in the high plains of Colorado. Right. Um, So I thought that was genius. Do you guys both love Westerns? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I know for me it's a sentimental attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I, I was very, very close to my maternal grandparents, and my grandfather was an audiovisual um, um, departmental head at for a school district, and he cared for all the, you know, the the film, you know, film reels back then, and he'd bring things home. <laughs> so I have a lot of fond memories of, uh, you know, sitting down in the living room and getting to stay up past my bedtime and, and, you know, watch movies with my grandfather and eat black licorice, which it totally astounds me that a four-year-old kid uh, or five-year-old kid would like black licorice, but I think it was just the whole kind of fun experience of staying up late and watching movies with my grandfather. Um, I would kind of question now as a parent and a grandparent myself some of the things I saw at four years old, like The House of Wax with Vincent Price. But uh, he was very, very fond of Westerns, so I watched a lot of Westerns with him um, and have a lot of very fond memories of of that. Uh, The one thing I love about Westerns is that um, if you watch enough Westerns and you really explore, you know, the Western genre, they really defy a lot of conventional stereotypes. At the same time, they kind of, you know... um, foster those stereotypes they also break those stereotypes and that's one of the appeals of western film to me um because that's the one thing that we were questioned about like westerns you know people are thinking you know like high noon and who shot liberty valance but again if you're a fan of western film there's there's a huge number of uh, subgenres in in western film and it's it's kind of this um kind of the self-reflexiveness about the, about, you know, the genre. This is, that's really fun. You know, you have, you know, um, the good, the bad, the ugly trilogy paying, or the Magnificent Seven paying homage to, you know, uh, Kurosawa and then, and then kind of coming back again too. So it's, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating to see what people do with the notion of the Western and how they, how they kind of follow the classic um, tropes, but then also, kind of mm-hmm. play around and, 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 and transmute um, some of those notions. Let's right. talk about the Magnificent Seven. So that's sort of an interesting kind of arc of how it got created. So there's this Japanese director who grew up watching and loving American Westerns. So he makes his own version with Seven Samurai and, you know, it's the you know so it's they're going to protect the protect this town from the bad guys and the the peasants go and ask for help and there's this misfit band of samurai right and mm-hmm. it's a great movie and then i don't know who directed the american version but you know and then you have all these 
American directors who watched that movie and were blown away, and it gets redone back as a Western. You right. Get, and you right. get Yul Brenner, and I forgot who else was in it, and you get this awesome Western. Mm-hmm. And then, so this goes back to the genre Western. And then later on, I'm watching this movie with my kids called Bugs Life, and I'm like, Wait a second. <laughs> this is Magnificent Seven. Yeah, this yeah. is Seven Samurai. <laughs> so would you consider Bugs Life a Western? <laughs> Pregnant pause. Um, hmm. I wouldn't classify that as a Western. So why but is you that? could say that it's paying homage to right. some of those tropes of the Western. Again, right. what you're looking at is kind of the underdog. You know, um, you know this ragtag group of... Right. Um, Outlaws, essentially, um, in the Magnificent Seven, or the Samurai. Right. In so, uh, what makes those two? We- I mean, the Magnificent Seven for sure is a Western, classically. Mm-hmm. Seven Samurai, you can argue, is a Western. It's just set in a different country. Mm-hmm. But you know, Bugs Life, it's a, it's modernized, it's animation. But why is that not a Western? I mean, it's exactly the same story, same arc, same conflicts. Everything's the same. Except for their bugs, their bugs, and, and it's animated. <laughs> so, what makes it not a western? Is it is it the costume, the period piece kind of vibe is gone? So, I, I'm just trying to figure out what's mm-hmm. a western, what, and why wouldn't that be a western? Well, if you just look at practically from the um, film industry point of view, like mm-hmm. if they're pitching this to the theaters or trying to make a poster of it. They could turn that very well into an advertising piece for a western if they just, you know. You know, like I'm thinking of Rango, Rango which <laughs> was very obviously an animated film, you right. know, not your typical John Wayne Western. Right. But they very obviously made that setting in the West. Right. You know, you have the cowboy, right. gecko. <laughs> so that would a be a film. Western animation. Right. And Bugs Life, they could have swung that way. But right. I'm imagining, so one answer is from the marketing film industry point of view, they clearly did not want to make that an overt Western. Right. However, if we show that at Go West, we could very easily pull in this is the Western tropes that are right. obvious in A Bug's Life. So right. we could technically show something like that or like The Last Picture Show, which probably was never marketed as a Western. Right. Um, there's things that you can – I look at it as flattery because I'm always looking at everything with my Western uh, lens. And so to me, it's like I'm flattered that Bug's Life took Magnificent Seven and I would love an opportunity to point that out to people because right. when you say that – actually, I think it was mm-hmm. you who pointed it out to me, Jamie. I just thought that's fantastic yeah, I never, that I had, Bug's I, Life yeah, was Magnificent Seven. And Rob actually mm-hmm. on our committee said the same thing. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah I should so, watch it against Ben Years. Um, <laughs> I didn't thought I think, think about it's it. going back to its roots at its heart. You have this wild, untamed land, good versus evil. And that can, you know, the wild, untamed land could be outer space. That's why right. it works so well mm-hmm. with science fiction. It could be the middle of Japan. It could be right. a bug's life. Mm-hmm. So I just, I right. think that's fascinating mm-hmm. to see that this very core, simple formula almost, or tropes, mm-hmm. can just be shown in a bunch of different ways. And to right. me, I'm just like, hip, hip, hooray. I mean, mm-hmm. let's do a musical. Let's do right. a, I mean, whatever. However you want to expand on that, I think mm-hmm. it's just a compliment to the ultimate roots of it, which is very American. There's mm-hmm. not very many Western, I mean, there's not very many film um, creative art things that American just say is ours. You know, jazz may be one. Right. And westerns, and it's been exported to, yeah, and everyone's kind of modified I, it for their yeah. You know, and I say yeah. modify away because mm-hmm. it works. Right. 
And I think one thing you had mentioned early on, landscape is integral to to the Western. I mean, in many ways, the landscape is, is... becomes a mirror right. for yeah. for you know the soul of the character right. and if that character is undergoing a particular transformation it's usually mirrored in in you know kind of the landscape we screened the revenant this year and um you know there's a lot of you know the the, the the scope and the beauty and the harshness of the landscape, you know, basically is being expressed through right. the through the character. So I think you know, again, what what constitutes or makes a Western, right. that's, that's a very important part of it. I don't know if you've seen a movie called Matewan. It's about union oh, yeah. busting. Oh, absolutely, in the, yes. I, mm-hmm. Maybe in the Appalachians. I love or something. that movie. And that's really kind of a Western, but kind mm-hmm. of modern, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I thought that was, and watching that even, like, as a high schooler, it was really impactful. And mm-hmm. not that much graphic violence. I think there's only one scene where someone gets shot, but it was so intense and so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still kind of, it's kind of left a mark on me. It's mm-hmm. funny you mention that because I think some of the diehard Western groupies wouldn't consider that a Western, but right. that's what we love about our film festival is we try to broaden that scope right. and Mate One's definitely on my top 10 and right. I wouldn't have even thought of right. making that a Western, mm-hmm. but you're right. It's got the defending the town exactly. and the good guys, bad guys exactly. and the shootout at yeah. the end. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. had a similar conversation when um, we were sharing with audience members why we're showing The Last Picture Show, one of the most perfect films ever, ever. Um, But again, I I love the whole um, opportunity to kind of open people's minds a little bit about what 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 a western is right. and you know if it's a neo-western in the case of the last picture show right. you know kind of expanding expanding that definition of the western and it becomes it becomes a conversation right. which is really my not only my love of film but the desire to share that love with people and really talk about film um, right. that's that's kind of the beauty of this film festival is being able to do that and and yeah people who saw that said yeah this is really a great film and now i now i get it i understand why you're show, where why you're showing this film right so let's go back to westerns as a genre why wouldn't have you gone with like sci-fi it's mostly because we're in the west now right because it's colorado and it kind of fit better and... yeah that's a great question um well yeah it's kind of a no-brainer right when when victoria and i were doing our initial research and really i credit victoria for kind of delving into mm-hmm. that aspect before we um kind of got off the ground it's like well no-brainer we're here in the west mm-hmm. why aren't there you know right uh, why isn't there a western and I'm film surprised festival? there isn't a western film festival anywhere so you guys did the mm-hmm. research and we're mm-hmm. pretty much the first in colorado in, in colorado, colorado. In colorado. Okay. yeah okay. um and i think one of the things we thought or that was kind of like near and dear to my heart was that i wanted to take you know this appreciation and love of classic and contemporary western film but also provide an opportunity to showcase documentary films that right. that showcase issues currently impacting the west um water rights land you know fracking um if you will so uh kind of couching or you know placing those films in in a film festival would um you know inspire people to maybe watch a documentary they wouldn't have watched otherwise outside right. of the film festival and use as an opportunity to educate the pu- the public on these issues right. that are impacting us and will continue to impact us. Um, yeah. So that, that was kind of a, a particular uh, passion piece in this project for me was, was to include those. Right. 
And interestingly, those have been some of our highest attended films, these unknown documentaries. You would, I mean, of course, John Wayne has been very popular, but our unknown documentaries. So like we had, which a, one? We had our first year, we had a Denver filmmaker, Ethan Nightchild, show a film about ghost towns of, from Colorado and the Southwest in general. Right. People loved that. It was our mm-hmm. highest attended at that year. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, we showed Hannah's Ranch, which was Mitch Dickman, also a Denver filmmaker, which was about ranching and the issues that deal with ranching and um, the depression that this one local rancher went through that eventually led to his death. And um, again, very well embraced. People didn't know anything about it before this. And then this year was really interesting because we showed Unbranded, a film about wild Mustangs and some young guys who take wild Mustangs from Mexico all the way up to the um, Canadian border just to show the power and the majesty of Mustangs and made this beautiful film, just some of the most beautiful cinematography mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Right. I'll never look at horses the same way again. It was just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And, um, but just also introduced some of the statistics about how wild Mustangs are the issues that are around that right, right. now. So that made for a great discussion. Mm-hmm. And Chris right. put together a great panel of guests to discuss, like the BLM, Bureau of Land Management, came and actually talked about some of the issues right. that are going on with that. So, so can I ask – So. Let's can we go back to square one? Define what a western is, because you know it's a gigantic genre. I mean, Firefly can be a western, and there is actually a western with those with that cast in there. What is it called? I know we talked about it about having it this festival early on. Oh gosh. Serenity, are you talking Serenity, about? Yeah. Serenity, yes. Which is part of Firefly. Right. Is, yeah, actually. Right. Yeah. Oh, that is. That's an F. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Same. Mm-hmm. Same. So define what a Western... I mean, I mean, we most people, when you say Western, won't think of a documentary, really. Really, what they're thinking is John Wayne and maybe uh, Clint Eastwood and a couple of other things. And those are the traditional... Westerns. It's more to do with time period. What's the time period that a Western is supposed to address? Like that 1800... 18... 18... Oh, gosh... I don't know if I want to put myself out there yeah. <laughs> during a podcast, but it basically has, to do with has a the co- time period. It has a time. It has a distinct time period, but mostly it kind of addresses kind of a co- you know a co- certain code of honor um, right. of an individual who right. is kind of, you know basically um, pitted against the landscape, against right. you know the domination of of, of an environment, the right. landscape, and he's kind of a loner. Right. It has a certain code of ethics. And right. there's civilizing of the West. The, 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 yeah, the taming and the civilizing of the West and how... So is it is it geographically specific? I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be in the American West. Can, can it be in Mongolia? I mean, Absolutely. Well, in our mind, it doesn't have to be. Right, <laughs> so this is what I'm asking. So how, how narrow is that term? I mean, if you think of Western, it could be in space, it could be in Absolutely. the American West, it could be in outer Mongolia, mm-hmm. wherever. Mm-hmm. So is it more of an idea? Like the Western is, like you were saying, it's more a taming of oneself and one's landscape and sort of the slow civilizing of a culture or community and everything mm-hmm. kind of the messiness around that. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a good old-fashioned story of the good guys versus the bad right. guys. And again, you know, how you have this personal code of honor and how that plays, you know, plays out in this in this particular social milieu, if you will. So you talk about, you know, does it have to be restricted to the American West? Absolutely not. There's There are transnational Westerns. The Australians are particularly uh, right. brilliant at... Uh, at uh, um, Filming these, uh, there are other many transnational westerns. We um, last year we showed Slow West, 
um, which was kind of an, a, a, a transnational in the sense that it was really a, a, a multi-national um, um, cast, if, mm-hmm. if, I, if, mm-hmm. I'm, if my memory filmed serves me correctly. And filmed in New Zealand. And filmed in New Zealand. And then um, we actually had considered showing an Australian Western called uh, The Proposition, which is a really, really solid film. Mm. Um, and again, takes a lot of those Western tropes of, mm-hmm. you know, these guys, bad guys are kind of holed out and, you know, um, the lines of their badness and goodness is kind of, you know, blurring a little bit. And that's another kind of feature of a lot of Western films, especially like, you know, you think about the good, the bad, and the ugly, Um, you know, like is, is, is Clint Eastwood's character doing this out of self-preservation, you know, um, or, you know, you see glimmers of like doing the right thing. So there's a lot of um, internal internal struggle with characters and their, and their code of, you know, their code of honor. But that's, what's fun about the genre because it really plays with those tropes. It's not, it's not like the classic Western necessarily of the, all the good guys, Tom Mix wore a white hat and the bad guys wore black hats. And you clearly knew who the good guy and the bad guy, bad guys were. What's fun about the whole Western film experience now is that you really have sometimes those playing around again with those tropes and and stretching the idea right. of a classic Western into different areas. Yeah, so, actually, I think a good example of that that I just discovered this year was Unforgiven, which is mm-hmm. you know an award-winning uh, Western right. with Clint Eastwood. Turns out that there's a Japanese version of the exact same story called Forget Unforgiven, except mm-hmm. in Japanese starring Ken, Ken Watanabe. Ken Watanabe. Mm-hmm. And, but yet it's set in Japan and in the out outlying area, I'm still waiting for the DVD to come in so I can even watch it, but it's not trying to pretend it's in America. I mean, it is set right. in Japan um, in that time period, but the entire story recreated except in a Japanese setting right. with Japanese, which just mm-hmm. is fascinating to me and the ultimate compliment. So is it, uh, set more in modern times, or is it set? No, it's kinda, set. So, in the would you 1800s. consider that a western? Yeah, I'm okay. very excited yeah. okay. to see it. We and actually potentially show it. Yeah, we actually put the trailer up on our on our Facebook mm-hmm. page uh, when the oh. trailer came out. It's yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of this, um, kind of this self reflexiveness about the about you know the genre. This is that's really fun. You right. know, you have you know. Um, the good, the bad, the ugly trilogy paying, or the Magnificent Seven paying homage to right. you know uh, Kurosawa, and then right. and then kind of coming back again too. So it's right. it's it's really it's really fascinating to right. see what people do with the notion of the Western and how they how they kind of follow the classic um, tropes, but then also kind mm-hmm. of play around and and and, and transmute um, some of those notions. What's your favorite Western, would you say, in your top three, Victoria? Hmm. Oh, that's a tough question, Jamie. (laughs) However, um, because I always talk to people about films, they're always asking my favorite films. And in my top list are a few Westerns. So one is High Noon. Mm -hmm. Um, The original High Noon. The original High Noon Mm -hmm. with Gary Cooper. Mm -hmm. Um, And also Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Of course. And... The original Magnificent Seven. Those right. are probably my top ones, which we've already shown at the mm-hmm. film festivals, right. all three of mm-hmm. those. So. Now, how about you, Chris? What are your, t- um, if you had to name your top three today? Today. Um, I would say one of, one of my top is um, uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward uh, Robert Ford. 
Um, it's the a Brad great... Pitt movie or the yes, one? Yes, yes. Is, is there another mm-hmm. one? Okay, uh, yeah, with Brad Pitt and okay. Casey Affleck. I just happened to listen to um, an interview um, with Terry Gross uh, mm-hmm. with Casey Affleck for Manchester mm-hmm. by the Sea, and uh, just hearing that yesterday driving home from work, it kind of triggered that. Like, yes, I love that film. I love, absolutely love the poetic, right. um, you know, pacing of that film. Really getting into the character. Right. Um, I'd say that's probably among my top. Oh my gosh, you're putting me on the spot here. Um, holy cow, there are just so many. Oh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, um, which we did screen this year. I, I had been kind of championing that film, um, you know, since we started the film, the film uh, festival. And this year, uh, the committee was on board to show it, and it really resonated with a lot of folks. We actually um, got that back on our surveys that they really liked. Yeah. Uh, it, we had a great discussion yeah, they had a good film. good discussion of right. that film. Um, let me see. Um, my third one. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm a sucker for um, the for the Sergio Leone uh, trilogy, Absolutely. the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So I really kind of pushed that we complete the trilogy this year right. um, and host the Spaghetti Luncheon. And again, it's a sentimental attachment, right. uh, which I think largely a lot of film is. You have you, you really have these attachments to certain films because you know you've seen them at certain points in your life, and you kind of remember you know where you're at in time. For me, it's a very fond memory of actually seeing that movie at the drive-in theater, and uh, probably somewhere in Aurora um, or outside wow. of. Denver when I was when I was a kid again my parents took me probably when they should not have right. but they'd always tell me at what point I should cover my eyes um, <laughs> so I'd be in the back seat of, of our uh, yeah, yeah of, of our of our T bird and yeah. uh, they'd say cover your eyes Chrissy and I would go ahead and cover my eyes and then peak right. of course um, absolutely fell in love with the soundtrack my mother had that soundtrack and played it a lot um, right. and I remember we actually had a poster of um, Clint Eastwood from the movie it's a movie poster in our um, in our apartment. So very sentimental attachment to that, to that movie, I think. And, um, but again, I, all the films we've shown, I've, I've loved or fallen in love again with true grit was, um, the, the 2010 version of True, True Grit, right. I kind of fell in love with all over again. Right. And really was, that a, was that the Conan brothers that did yes, that? The yeah, Conan, that was yeah, great yeah, the, the Conan yeah. brothers. And it was really interesting because um, our discussion lead, leader, Stacy, uh, kind of prefaced that saying, you know, it's a little bit different, but really it's one of their more conventional films. Absolutely. It's, it's, I thought the same thing. And it's beautiful. Very it really, by the book, Western. By the book, but yeah. it was with love yeah. that they filmed it. It was clearly a love, a love of Westerns. And right. they, and it was... It was impeccable. They're, they're, you right. know, they're, they're filming and their rendering of it. Right. So, but I, after seeing that on uh, Friday, was it Friday? Yeah, Veterans mm-hmm. Day. Um, I was like, this is a damn good film. I really like it. They did such a good job with it. It's funny that you mention all the sentimental connections because mm-hmm. I was, I've always, because this conversation comes up a lot at the film festival. So why Westerns? What's your favorite? Mm-hmm. Where did you, especially um, el- some of our elderly attendees, they're surprised that someone, quote, younger, which I love being considered younger, um, has this affinity for Westerns. And so I have been racking my brain, like, where did all this start? Like, where did my love affair with Westerns begin? And I can trace it back to my dad mm-hmm. and my big brother because I wanted to spend time with them. I'm the baby of the family, and I'm like, I got to have something in common with, you know, these men that it seems when you're young and an insecure young girl, you don't know if you have anything in common with them. So I would sit while they would watch their TV westerns and and Clint Eastwood. My brother started me on this um, 
tradition that every Christmas Eve we would watch a Clint Eastwood Western. So while the rest of America is watching It's a Wonderful mm-hmm. Life, we're watching Hang 'em High. You know, and <laughs> right. to me that's so that's normal. Funny. Like I can't even imagine watching a Christmas movie on Christmas Eve. It's got to be a Western by Clint Eastwood. Looking back on it, what would you have changed or done differently um, this year, first year, second year, and how has it evolved in the last three years? Good question. Yeah. I think one direction we're going into is is submissions. Um, you know, we're a committee of 12 and largely volunteer, all, all volunteer, essentially, and a um, great group of people, but you can only do so much, you know, with a day job. So uh, that's going to be our, our next, our next goal is to, um, you know, encourage, uh, submissions from, from Colorado filmmakers or filmmakers outside of the state. We kind of got our toes wet with that this year by us screening a short, um, by Rob Walker. Um, he's here in the Greeley community. He's actually on our uh, committee, a very, very amazing creative here in Greeley. So, um, it was well received, a very solid short. Um, so now we're ready to kind of branch off into submissions. But I think we're doing we're doing pretty pretty well so far in terms of our community partners. The Crest has been a tremendous partner in this. Um, they've they've been wonderful and and really have embraced this this project. And as has UNC um, International Film Series, uh, Ames, um, really good good core group of partners that are that are on board with this. So, yeah. Victoria, do you have anything to add to that? I would say, and I know what I like when I go to film festivals, is that unique insight from people who are actually doing it. So to host more filmmakers, Mm -hmm. local, um, we have showed El Mariachi this year, which uh, is... um, Robert Rodriguez, who's now like a famous director. Was that, that, wasn't that his first feature? It was his first, first feature. Right. On out seven, of film se- school. Out right. of film school. On a shoestring budget. $7,000. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it was very important. To, and a lot of people were like, why are we showing this? And, it, you know, it's all his friends, not even professional actors who are in it. It's wonderful. I mean, it is like the definition of independent film. Right. And was like the film festival darling the year that it came out. And people were a little confused why we were showing it, but they trust us. They just show up not knowing anything about this film, and they learn about its significance in the independent film, in the whole ind- independent industry. And then um, what was particularly exciting to me was one of the Ames film students afterwards came up to me and is very excited to submit a film next year. Mm-hmm. So That's I'm like, awesome. yes, here's the contact information. Please, please, please. We want to right. show your film at this film festival. Yeah, There seems like there's so much potential. I mean, just you mentioning this Ames student being mm-hmm. excited about, mm-hmm. I mean, you could do little contests for shorts, you know, right. like and mm-hmm. give away some kind of prize or exactly. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, guys, tell me a little bit about the structure and format of the film festival. Uh, you know, I know how most film fe- or some film film festivals are structured, but it, is yours different in any way, or do you kind of do it by the book? Well, again, we put on our librarian hats and we kind of researched how other libraries do, I mean, how other film festivals do it. And so I think we're kind of a mix of everything we liked from a variety of film festivals. Chris and I are huge fans of Telluride Film Festival. So um, one of the things we really, really love about that are the discussions and the information that they provide for us. So our films are roughly a week long, a couple films a day. This is in general. Um, there are sometimes exceptions if there's something going on. Like this year, 
we didn't do anything for election night. But um, technically, it's a week, two shows a, a week, a day. And, um, and every film has an introduction by somebody who has kind of researched the details of the film, the filmmaker, actors, its significance, and then hosts a discussion afterwards. So are we talking roughly about 14 films in a week? Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so maybe it's six days. Yeah. What we do is we, um, yeah, like Victoria said, it's kind of a it's kind of a conventional format. Um, we have a uh, kickoff um, screening um, on Sunday night at the Cress, and that will be just our first screening, and then generally two films a day, and then we'll have a wrap up um, on Saturday, which we did. We we have started showing an afternoon film on Saturday, and then we'll have a wrap up okay. event. All the venues, um, I'm assuming, are going to be in within the Greeley city limits? Yes, yes. And so who are some of your partners, and what, where are these screening locations? And um, how did that come about? Yeah, well, we basically, um, first, after we formed a very small core committee in our first year, um, Victoria and I uh, went to the Crest. The Crest has always been a, a very... Um, supportive partner with a lot of um, Greeley events, and they were very open to the idea. Um, and so we went to the Crest, at, you know, first, and then um, we've had, you know, partnership with uh, the International Film Series at UNC, so we went to them, and they were on board with it, uh, Ames um, Community College. Uh, Greg Driscoll um, is an instructor there that uh, Victoria had met um, a number of years ago, she actually attended a Westerns 101 um, free lecture um, one, one year. Right, it right. Like it makes me think ago. of yeah. that quote from Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, as soon mm-hmm. as we started talking about this, we started realizing all these people we already had that are like, they have a similar interest, they have a similar passion, or they mm-hmm. have the knowledge, and it's just, yeah, if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. Greg popped out, Ron and David, you know, from the IFS days. Ron and, and Thelma Edgerton, David Caldwell. Right. Um, yeah, so we just kind of started to kind of reach out to different people, and like Victoria said, if you kind of build it, they'll they'll come, and then word of mouth gets out, um, and then people kind of came to us, you know, somewhat. Like, yes, we'd like to be a part of this and like to help support you in this endeavor. We were talking uh, earlier off off tape about uh, you put out a survey about what people mm-hmm. loved most about. And one of the the, the responses or one of the most, uh, the most positive feedback you got was the discussion after the film. And a lot of film festivals have a panel where people discuss the film, but not – I don't know of any really that – Everyone who has watched the film becomes an active participant in the discussion for every film shown. True. Um, mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that and how it's uh, integrated into the film festival and what makes that special? Well, I think the germ for that, at least for me in my mind, was the film discussion group that Jamie, you and I hosted here at the Far Library. That was for about four or five years, right. quite a while ago. That was the germ that helped me to see people will stick around and talk about a movie afterwards. Because right. I just didn't know. Didn't I know, know I like to do that. Yeah. But I thought me and one other person will stick around and talk mm-hmm. about this movie. Well, I think but, we thought, who's going to stick around 11 at night to talk about a movie? And it turned out 
a lot of a people. lot of people. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. We had right. to kick mm-hmm. them out of the library right. and say, "Okay, mm-hmm. we need to go home now." Which mm-hmm. is the power of film. I think mm-hmm. it's just one of those artistic expressions that gets people. I think it makes them feel comfortable, and it makes them feel like they have some safe ground to right. discuss wide variety of points of view. So I think, for me at least, that was my germ. I don't know about you know if Chris had had a similar discussion group actually about film at yeah, the I library. Did. I, so. Yeah, I had a based on a based on the book film group for right. about three oh, yeah, years. I remember that. And, yeah. And that was the particular niche there as well, that um, people are people are really wanting that sense of community. They want, And again, in our surveys, that was kind of uniformly the feedback we received, is that they were really seeking that, that sense of community, being able to, you know, discuss, you know, a film or, mm-hmm. you know. At least half, or I'd say around half of the attendees always stick around for a discussion afterwards about the film. So that helps us to, in a tricky way, do what we call film literacy as us librarians. Mm-hmm. We're really teaching them how to view a movie, but also consider, you know, the history of when it was released and what, you know, all the influences that go into film literacy. So that part, I thought we might have to sell and try to really work hard to create. People mm-hmm. like that community involvement. So I think that's what's made it so successful, especially our community partners that Chris just listed. So just coming from the librarian point of view, I used to, for like 12 years, I hosted a book club, which is, you know, everybody knows and associates that with libraries and books and that nobody thinks twice about that. The beauty of all reading the same book and then talking about it, differing opinions, liked it, didn't like it, you know, what stood out to you. So why not extrapolate that to film? Absolutely. Same, Same concept. So, but yeah, I don't see that at other film festivals. Yes, the introduction to the film and s- perhaps some discussion from the filmmaker himself, the director or actor, talking right. about the experience of the film. And maybe a short Q&A after. A Q&A. But right, but not so much about how did it make you feel? Right. What does this movie mean to you? Exactly. Did it change your world perspective? Or um, right. I think that is one of our unique things that I'm most proud of. For more information about the Go West Film Festival or to contact Chris and Victoria, please visit Go West Film Festival on Facebook or www.gowestfilmfest.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealthcast. If you'd like more information about the project or you would like to participate, please visit our site at www.wealthcast.com or by calling 1-888-861-7323. This has been a production of the High Plains Library District.